Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. That's right. That's right, everybody. <laughs> it's that most magical time of That's the right, year. That's podcast world. It is the most magical time of the year. And that music you hear is none other than whoever it is playing it, Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells. Can we have a few more bars, Lee? Dashing through the snow, one horse open sleigh. That's all. Oh, come on. <laughs> Our audience is devastated. I mean, right then and there, 50% dropped off. They're like, we're out. <laughs> we're out. Even even like avid fans were like, nope, I'll catch you next People year. People were standing up. They were getting ready to, to party like it was 2022. Yeah. Yeah. 1999. Well, here we are. We're at the end of the year. The yeah. end of our third full year of podcasting. What an amazing year it was. Think about the guests that we've had on this oh show. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my yeah. gosh. We've it's had just so many wonderful guests. Yeah. And you want to know what's really cool about doing this for as long as we've done it is that a lot of them we call friends. We do. We do. There are many conversations that we can have outside the podcast now with people that we met on the podcast and we're friends. We see them at events because events happen now Yeah, and, uh, and we can talk to them on the phone. Yeah. And that, that, that goes for all four of us. Uh, not only uh, love putting this out there every week for you all, but we love the family that has grown out of this, of uh, the FNO podcast family. That's right. Stay tuned because uh, maybe in 2022, there will be the FNO podcast movie. Oh, yeah. The, Brady. the FNO podcast Broadway play. Yeah. Yeah. I, then, I'm, 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 I'm the talking to Lynn well right now about mm -hmm. doing the music. Yeah. Well, as I think that's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I've been told he knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah. Not he that makes, there's any proof. He makes Broadway plays out of pretty boring subjects. Right. And he makes them pretty exciting. So why not take it? That's, that's right. That's yeah. right. He was and like, it's about what? Yeah. We're and up his alley. Yeah, that's right. So we have a lot for all of our, all of you to look forward to in 2022. But we today we have something even more exciting to look forward to than the FNO InsureTech podcast movie. <laughs> we do. We do. Starring Lee Boyd, I might add. Yeah. And the other guy. And the other guy, right. Starring the brain and the cute guy. I mean, let's yeah. just say it yeah. as it is. Well, what do we tell them about today? Today, we have on, we have a, a little turn into the world of health insurance. We do. What do you think we about do. that? 
I think it's wonderful. We get to talk to Jeff Chan. Is InsureTech just property and casualty? No, I no, I don't no. think so. And I no, think I it's a very so. small, a very small piece. It's that's a, one it's piece. a limb right. of the tree. That's right. That's right. Health insurance is huge. It's gigantic. And everyone thinks about health insurance in December because a lot of them are up in their health insurance. That's right. We just did at our company at Alacrity Solutions. We just went through open enrollment Yeah, with a new health insurance company Mm -hmm. who may have used the product that we're going to be talking about today. We have on Jeff Chen, CEO at Verikai. Yeah, it is a data-rich company that works in the world of medical and health. And, and they have so much data to assist these companies and to help them make the right decisions for the, these groups and even individuals. And it, it's a company going places. And Jeff is a wonderful guy that we get to talk to. He has a lot of energy. He's an exciting guy. And I think everyone's going to enjoy this podcast today. Really smart, capable man with a great pedigree. He's been in the insurance software business for a long time, and now the CEO of Verikai, which is a tr- just a just a really interesting company. In fact, it was so, it's so interesting that we talked to Jeff through the podcast, and when we ended, we kept talking about Verikai because there's so much there. So yeah. we found it interesting and important, and we hope you do too. And I want to say very, very sincerely from the bottom of our hearts that we are So thankful to each and every one of you for listening to us all year, for supporting us the way that you do. And we look forward to next year and are so thankful to have the journey that we've been on with you. And so with that, we'll say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, Happy Kwanzaa, et cetera, et cetera. Hope I didn't miss anything. Happy holidays from all of us at FNO InsureTech. Hey, everybody. We're here with our guest, Jeff Chen, CEO, relatively newly appointed CEO of Verikai, right? Relatively, that is true. That mm-hmm. is true. You're like, oh, welcome. Welcome. You're four or five Thank months you. into this adventure. Is that what it is? I am uh, around that. Yeah. I think we're coming up on a half a year. Okay. Um, here. Congratulations. Uh, and thank you guys. Thank you guys. And, and thank you for having me. Fan of what you guys are doing. Long time listener, first time caller. Well, thank you. We're very glad to have you Thanks. on. We're going to, we're going to send you a coffee cup for that. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, seems, we seem to have jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs> he says, for those of you who can't see, he says, as he takes a sip from that beautiful FNO InsureTech coffee mug, there's so much to talk about with you and so much to talk about with Verikai. Let's let's start with the company though. Sure. And and let's talk about Verikai and let's start by letting us know what it is that you guys do and what your spot is in the marketplace. Sounds good. I mean, essentially Verikai is a software company that leverages machine learning and next generation modeling to gain deeper insight into risks uh, within the insurance industry. Now, what we are best known for is our predictive risk tool. It's called Capture. And that leverages our proprietary database of over 5,000 plus behavioral attributes on more than 250 million individuals in the United States to produce risk scores. And they work in conjunction with health rating manuals. And where we're known to play right now 
most in is the space around medical stop loss and health insurance. So, so like, what is a behavior here? Whenever you say you have 5,000, what is that? So we all, I mean, when I say behavioral attributes, it can be also lumped into the category of alternative data, right? Okay. So traditionally, when we think about underwriting, especially in the health space, you know, as you all have been around the block for a while, you know that there's a few simplistic factors, you know, there's age, gender, and not even full address. It's just zip code, right? Yeah. Zip yeah. five. And then the industry relies on, if you can get it, claiming experience. Mm-hmm. And then from a health perspective, health questionnaires come into play, right? So when you're using those typical factors, the rating manuals utilize those. And then if you can gain and gather that claiming experience, it's a fairly simple algorithm, right? So what we do is then on top of the rating manual that's used, those simplistic factors, we then take into account any kind of data that we can find on individuals. And individual behaviors, think of that as in the PNC world, where the PNC world went down that path is, you know, credit score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? right. And so credit score is made up of a number, handful of different factors at play. Well, what we do is instead of using like a credit score, we actually break it down on a more granular level of, of what are all the behaviors that can be essentially modeled against in a dynamic fashion to predict future risk. And so when you think about behavioral attributes in kind of the same vein of credit score, think about it as opt-in data, social media data, uh, purchasing information. There's going to be also from an alternative data standpoint, there's medical, there's clinical, there's socioeconomic, uh, there's purely economic data points. We can go on and on and on, right? And so one of the things that I use as an example, or we use as an organization to talk about is, you know, in a, a standard way of looking at health could be, all right, someone who's unhealthy, what makes them unhealthy? Maybe it's liver disease, whatever their ailment is that potentially makes them a higher risk. Well, what are then the determinants of that risk factor? Is it going to be alcoholism? It very well mm-hmm. could be, mm-hmm. right? And then what, what can you do to determine that alcoholism is a basis of poor risk. Well, one of the factors is, you know, alcohol spend and consumption. Mm -hmm. But in our way of modeling versus a traditional way of modeling in a regression format, in a regression format, we take alcohol spend and consumption and we put a bias against that, that that is a negative outcome. How we model is that alcohol spend can mean multiple different things. So someone with a high alcohol spend, if we can gather that information, modeled against the fact that there's someone that's um, age-wise in their 40s with a good job, is active, is a runner, has availability to healthy foods, um, travels frequently. We take all these different behaviors that are not usually associated and we model them dynamically. And then we figure out Someone with high alcohol spend could be 
high-end wine collector. And that person could right. be up could be a great risk because they also take care of themselves. And so we're modeling different factors that are not usually thought of as determinants of health risk. And is the outcome, skipping all the way to the end of the story, that you're providing better underwriting data for decisions to be made from? I would definitely agree with that statement. So, uh, you know, I generally say, if you're going to partner with us, what the practical application of our product, our main product, helps underwriters better select risk, rate more accurately, and be more productive with their time. So is this is this used by, you said by medical insurance, like health insurance, is it used by life insurance and, and other other types of insurance? So that's a, that's a great question. I, I mean, we are most well-known for health, but we do have some customers on the life side, we do have some PNC customers as well. And they're there for very specific use cases. But the next stage of our of our growth is entry into those two verticals in a more you know, widespread fashion. So I've got to ask, where does this data come from? Is it that the people are giving you this data? Are you collecting? Where, where does it come from? So when we think of, of data, right, we bucket it into kind of three categories. And so, well, first, the basis of our data is, is census data, right? Okay. And that, okay. that everyone, anyone can obtain because that's kind of the foundation of things. And then the three kind of buckets we looked at is at our opt-in data, right? Which is kind of what we're, you know, kind of the, the, the sexy data that we're kind of known for, which is, you know, all the social, like that people think of like social media, behavioral, demographic, geographic, purchasing financial, you know, any kind of credit information. Uh, think of it as when you're now on your phone scrolling through a website, the cookies, uh, you know, question comes up and you have to accept it. And so that is all opt-in data, right? And, and kind of that bucket in a general sense, right? Okay, now, the right. second bucket is clinical and RX data. And that includes medical providers, pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, clinical registries, disease associations. You know, we partner with all these different clinical and RX partners where we get that data as well. And then the third bucket of data is first dollar claiming data. And we have over 25 million unique individual claimant uh, claims data points across uh, all lines of insurance. It's not just group health, it's voluntary benefits, life and property casualty. I would think that HIPAA laws would be, I don't know, something that you have to deal with. I was going to say a barrier, but maybe more realistically, just part of what you have to deal with on a daily basis. If I applied for health insurance through my employer, would I have to give you my data? I mean, how how do you gain access to data that's protected? So we don't have access to data that's protected because obviously then that would be if we did have that then we would be breaking the law and we are we we do not break the law <laughs> so how essentially the technology works is just with a a simple census the factors that we had talked about you know first name last name date of birth and address uh, mm-hmm. zip code essentially zip 5 and gender those five which is standard the standard factors used in a census that's dropped into a health insurance rating manuals, you know, Windsor, Tillinghouse, these well-known manuals that uh, underwriters 
utilize to get pricing, we sit on top of those rating manuals. So they can drop in those factors and then our database then matches and it does a secure tokenization process where we de-identify those individuals and we never store any of their individual health information and we don't even have that. It's the dynamic modeling process that we go through that we essentially have a quote unquote shell profile of everyone and that's how we match our database against the person that a underwriter is or a carrier or underwriting organization is is looking to write. So like you're saying health insurers must love you, right? Because or you they're fans. <laughs> they're, fans. <laughs> they're fans, but that that would be a typical customer for you guys would be a correct a health insurer. Mhm. Those partnerships must be integral to, to, well, to both of you, but to them, because that's their business is underwriting. Has, has a company like yours helped to kind of revolutionize what's going on inside of health insurers and, and how they're going about writing risk? Well, we think so. I, I mean, mm-hmm. that we're doing something that's pretty unique. The technology and our modeling our algorithms, it is also very unique. We're, as far as we know, and, and our data science team knows, we're the only organization we know of that models in the fashion that we model, which is uh, a methodology called multi-phasic ensemble clustering. And so, and you guys can say that with me three times faster. Yeah, we're going to have to play that one back. <laughs> but, but that, but, you know, in, in layman's terms, it is a, it's a nonlinear modeling technique that evaluates and groups multiple data points against each other, models it dynamically and finds trends, and then it models against outcomes so that every single time that, you are, that we find a new data set, we put it and create a new model in there, and then the output is going to be outcome-driven for finding lift. Each time we do that, our predictive ability is pretty strong, Mm -hmm. right? And in each new data set that we we can find that shows lift. Now, the practical application of our product within insurance companies and underwriting entities, it is something that is, I think, more unique because we're providing, as, as you kind of alluded to, it's just a lot more insight, right? You're, you're making more informed decisions with more data and a lot more data points. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, for many years, I was invi- involved with buying the health insurance at our company. And I would sit there at the end of the year and say, I don't know how, I don't know why anybody would write our health insurance, right? It's tough. It's very expensive to have it and it's yeah. very expensive to provide it. Right. So. I'm sure that the health insurers are just, I mean, obviously that's why our health insurance is expensive because it's expensive to provide it. It's true. They're they're paying claims Mm -hmm. (laughs) all all day, every day. I think the question around, you know, traditional underwriting, the costs, it's why we play in that also that stop loss space because that's a, it's a market that's growing and it's growing rapidly compared to kind of the more traditional fully insured space. And as 
as time moves on, the reason that space keeps on growing in this kind of self-funded fashion is that it is cheaper. Those the products around self-funding with stop loss, right? And and but it's difficult. It's also always extremely difficult to underwrite in that space, especially if you don't have claiming experience yeah. to drive that underwriting. And then if you do choose to go with health questionnaires or just the manual alone, it's fairly unreliable, right? <laughs> so sure. we layer on top of that. And then, and ultimately, if you can get that combination right of the underwriting within stop loss, you're now looking at a at a, a product that's 30% more affordable than traditional fully insured health plans. Right. So the success of your product is really super important to the whole marketplace. We think so. I mean, and we're just scratching the surface of this. And you guys are relatively new. I, I know you're founded in 2018, correct? Correct. Correct. So you're probably, you haven't had that many iterations on, you know, looking at a full year of what you guys provided to the underwriters and, and how it worked out. Right. Because you need the run out, right? And right. I assume you're, you're very interested in that data. Is that correct? Of course. Tell us about that. How are you guys doing there? Well, from a, just in, in general, in terms of uh, our, our company, the trajectory, our success, you know, we've seen a lot of success in the market. As you can imagine, it's a little more of a market that has not seen a quite a bit of innovation, especially in this industry as other industries. So there's something certainly just from what we're doing that's attracting prospects, customers, and insurers to us to have a lot of great conversations about how to improve in this space and how to offer the market, you know, more affordable products. So that's going well, right? As you, as you said, I mean, I think the, the holy grail situation that we're, we're going to walk into more and more as time goes on is when we have the real life proof points right. and, and we're, that's, that's over time, we're going to see more of that come right. out. But it, I don't, I, <laughs> I think the difficulty for, for me and for our company is you now underwriting is a little bit of a secret sauce, obviously, is a of differentiation yes. for, right. for these carriers. And they're not going to reveal too much outside of their four walls. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but I, mm -hmm. I, what I always say is, indicatively, their renewal of our product tells us that we are doing something right. Because if there was no value, then they don't have to renew. Yeah, correct. And renewals are good. And renewals are good. Retention rates are high. Yeah. That's That's Welcome to the insurance industry. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We love retention. Tell me, tell me this. Is there ever a time when, when maybe you see like a life score you know, we have, we have driving scores now, you know, credit karma is trying to come out with a, with the driving mm -hmm. score. You have a credit score. We've recently had hazard hub on and they, they have a score. Is there ever a time My when our employer uh, also acquired hazard hub? Yes, yeah. they yeah. did. We'll get, we might get there. Um, but is there a time when there's like a life score? Is that what companies are coming to you? And they're saying, is this a, is this a buy or sell? Is this an insure or not insure? You know, is it is that going to happen? Uh, Lee, I think where you're where that question is exactly where I think life insurance has to go is because they they have not utilized um, behavioral data 
And also how life insurance is underwritten is a point in time, uh, obviously underwriting and it's based off of mortality versus a more dynamic underwriting or continuous underwriting that could be done. What do you continuously or dynamically underwrite? You have to have a, an alternative you know, data point or score or risk score. Right. Um, and so I know there are more startup life insurers that are going down that path. And, and that's why we, we're going to go into that because not, not necessarily even because we want to, but there is just so much demand. Uh, we went to ITC at the same time it was at our other big conference uh, that was in Austin, SIA. So we kind of did a divide and conquer, but the, the demand of life insurers coming up to our, our booth and inquiring about the applicability of our models and our data to life, it's very transferable, as you can imagine. And, and wouldn't life insurers, unlike a health insurer or a group health insurer, life insurers looking at a life, a singular? Well, there's also group life as well. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And, and so, so where we're, we're better applied, at least in our, our current state, is more to group, right? Because this, mm -hmm. is, this is kind of the, um, the difficulty of a, of a predictive risk tool is that if we, and we haven't fully cracked the nut on this yet, but if you utilize our product on an individual level, there is no margin for error. There is no such thing as no margin for error when predicting risk unless you have a crystal ball. And we don't have a crystal ball, obviously. So, you know, on underwriting in our product from a, a modeling standpoint, it's about statistics, right? It is, and, and we are a book of business loss ratio-like tool in that over the course of a year utilizing our tool, we will prove lift statistically on average time and time again. That doesn't mean we never get anything wrong, right? Sure. <laughs> so, Sure. I mean, like somebody once said to me, you know, if you live until, I forget what the numbers were, but if you live until like 65 or 68, chances are you're going to live to 85. But it doesn't mean that you won't have a brain hemorrhage when you're 71. Right. I mean, it, so the, <laughs> I, I'm going to use the first four letter word I've ever used on this podcast. Ready? Shit happens. <laughs> it, does. it does. And so there's only so much you can predict. Your predictions may be accurate, but you can't take into account, a, you know, an act of God or, or That's right. other things That's right. so and, entirely anyways. And, and I'm honored um, to be on the, the first episode that uses a four-letter word. Yes, you are. <laughs> there you have it. There it is, folks. I wonder if we'll get a little – we got a little tag. We had somebody use the F word once. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well – yeah, but at least from awesome. you guys, it's yeah. the first. And it, and it wasn't even a soft one. Uh, tip of the cap to a soft one who loves to use the F word, <laughs> I might add. And I say that with all great respect and admiration. Um, so l let's talk about uh, Jeff Chen for a few minutes. Sure. Yeah. A topic I know pretty well, well so I think I can. <laughs> You're an authority. <laughs> I know that guy. So we're going to go back, 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 sure. back, back, back. Let's go back to... You start off as a consultant, if I understand correctly, correct. and then you end up at this crazy company called Guidewire. Yes. So tell us about where you were just before then, and you kind of made your way through Guidewire. So tell us about working for a major 
part of the InsurTech world in and, the insurance And some would industry. say the original InsurTech. Yes, they would. Yeah, there's some that would argue with that, but you sure. Of course. Yeah, close enough. Of course. Close enough, So, yes. So, you know, kind of before then, as you had mentioned, you know, the kind of the first half of my career was uh, all in management consulting. More often than not, the projects that we're on were, were focusing all on software, but more on the ERP and CRM space. So at a certain point in time, it, for me, it was transitioning out of consulting and I wanted to move into more of a product-based career right? Versus services. And so via some, some mutual contacts that worked at, at Guidewire, they, they were growing rapidly. And, and I think the culture of Guidewire is uh, we will always uh, evaluate great people and look at where their applicability can be. And when I was kind of recruited, I was very vehement that I am not a software quote unquote guy. Uh, I don't code, I'm not, or, or I can code, it's just horrendous. Let's put it that <laughs> way, right? So you don't want me coding. But one thing led to another in the course of conversations, and they thought my background could be very applicable to the insurance space, working with executives to help them understand the strategic impact of, of Guidewire's products. So I worked in the value sales organization, or what's called value consulting. And most would argue that in that space, Guidewire was one of the pioneers in that value consulting niche. And for the better part of six years, I you know, grew into that organization, led it, led the worldwide team there, and then you know, was part of a more senior leadership around cloud initiatives and all, all these different things that, that they would uh, play into. And it was, a, it was a great experience. It was a wonderful organization, great culture, and obviously wildly successful. Wildly. In fact, I recently had the opportunity to have dinner with Mike Rosenbaum. All right. I don't, I don't know Mike personally because I left right before he came. Really good guy, really interesting man, and a, t a, a big job, a tough job, you know, to, to take them on to the cloud. It is a, it is a transitioning state, and, uh, and they'll get there. Uh -huh. I mean, but it is, it is a tough proposition right now, but they'll get yeah. there. Easier said than done. So you're cruising. You're killing it at Guidewire. Right. And this little, did you get the bug to be with a startup? What That's happened? essentially what happened is, you know, I was there for six years and I, I think any great organization or not, not great if you're there for six years, that's a good amount of time. Yeah. And mm -hmm. one of the things I will say about Guidewire is, and the experience and the time that I had there, you experience so much, you learn so much, you do so many things. And at a point in time, right? You hit this maturity in yourself of growth and you decide, do I stay here or do I try something a little different? And for me, I'm always someone who tries to reinvent myself. I like to take on new challenges and the thought processes. I've learned all of this incredible knowledge from this six years. Why don't I take this and try to harness all that knowledge and grow something else, right? And apply mm -hmm. it and, and sure. create more value ultimately is, mm -hmm. what, is what it's about. And so that was, uh, that was the bug that was, that was uh, itching is, is how could I take this and also my personal, you know, I think I have some personal skills that relate well to startups. Let's go test this out and see if I like it.
So did you look around? What happened? So I, I did. I mean, there was, I mean, being associated with Guidewire, you're, you're afforded a lot of uh, opportunities. And, and there's, there's a lot sure. of people that reach out, uh, a lot of good opportunities, a lot of bad opportunities. And so right. with them, uh, during kind of the end of my tenure, there were a lot of startups that I was talking to. And I went to a small MarTech startup, um, gambled a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Um, and it just wasn't a great fit. And I think the technology was good. It was a machine learning product, but they couldn't, it was more of a service than a true product. Um, mm -hmm. And I was there for six or so months. And I would say it was a rough six months, but I will tell you the learning I had during those six months was invaluable to get me to where I am because it, it allowed me to then have a taste of all sides of what a software company could be from a culture perspective mm -hmm. to poor culture because it's only a bad experience if you don't learn from it. Definitely. And so from there, at, as I was still there and I was, I was starting to look at what would be next, I was introduced to the Verikai founders via a mutual contact. So you joined Verikai and pretty quickly, I mean, you're the, you're the CEO of the company. I mean, it, it, you, I, it's not like you've been there for 14 years right. under the tutelage of a legendary CEO. I mean, there was a founder CEO. Correct. And he transitioned. I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of a founder CEO versus a hired CEO. There's obviously a difference. Can you talk about that for a minute? I mean, you're, you're not a founder. That's right. Uh, of the company. So you were brought in, you're a manager. That's right. So I think, well, the caveat though, that I think makes it a little easier in this conversation is that while I wasn't a, a founder, I was brought on pretty early, luckily, right? Yes. But, yes. But yes. The, the two co-founders, Ari Sundram, who is the, the founder CEO, uh, and then Brett Coffin, uh, who is you know, Art was the chief technology officer now has transitioned to more his sweet spot as the chief data officer. The two of them uh, got together and Hari is a serial entrepreneur. So in his past, he is an incredible visionary finding product market fit, always thinking about new products, new ideas that can improve, disrupt revolutionize, you know, insurance for as a former physician, especially who's been around the space for a long time. Mm. Right. So mm. I paint that picture because that's how his mind works is it's very big picture. So then mm -hmm. ultimately in these startups, you need someone who is also more of an operator type individual. And I think my background with Guidewire, my, and then before that, a lot of my management consulting chops come into play. So the three of us kind of pair up really well. And so mm -hmm. we do a divide and conquer. And along the way, there's, he was absolutely the, our leader and our, our, our CEO. But then as the company grows and how it grows, you know, that's where I would be in, involved in a lot of the building of that strategy, right? And the mm -hmm. hands-on approach of even recruiting or building out verticals. And so there's mutual respect there, right? And we're each, we're kind of growing together. 
ultimately. And so um, without stepping on any toes, you know, uh, at some point in time, you know, those, co those, those founding CEOs who are more the visionary types, when you get into operating in scale mode, it's not mm -hmm. as much their forte, right? It's not as right. exciting for them. Um, right. and, and Hari's contribution to this industry and this world is, I think, as a, he is a great creator. Um, mm -hmm. Those ideas need to be acted on in this world, mm -hmm. right? And we totally need people like that who can go out and stay in that lane. Right. Right. <laughs> because that's where you know, great ideas can continue to come from. And we need people like you who can continually not only operate them, but grow them, Right, which is a whole nother set of talents, which I, for one, am absolutely terrible at. And so it's nice to talk to somebody from the other side. Um, let's talk about the 50 best places to work. Oh, sure. That's a pretty nice thing to say about somebody or a company. I think we take a lot um, of pride in that. So yes, uh, I would agree. Is that true? Do Lee and I need to apply for a job there? <laughs> well, well. Do you need a podcast? <laughs> In-house podcasters, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe we if we turn into uh, kind of some sort of holding entity. We we can have an umbrella of of businesses. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean uh, that was bestowed upon us, uh, Silicon View, and and it is. Um, you know, when, if, if someone asks me, what is the, what, what is your differentiator or what makes you all successful? All right. Those are, and those are two separate questions, but I would say what makes us successful is our culture. Our differentiator is our product, right? And the culture of the company is created in such a way that ultimately we're going to treat people really well and treat them as as humans with voices and opinions and value those opinions. And if you, if you can hit the right tone of managing people and it's persona based management, it's not, this is how we do it. Now everyone must get in line. It is really understanding the individual and what their goals are and where they want to grow in their career. And it fits in the construct of what we're doing that's the match you're looking for. And if we, when we find that match, we also need to find good, good people. And then if we find those good people who are motivated to do good work, what we do is we just guide them. And then they will mm -hmm. actually pull the company forward. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in the course of that, if you also treat them really well and think about the things that matter to them, that is a personalized style of management that ultimately affects your culture bottom up and it's bottom up and top down culture. And speaking of your culture, I was reading somewhere that you, you are a values driven company. Correct. Tell us what that is for Verakai. What is a value driven? How does that manifest itself at Verakai? Well, I mean, you can take the interpretation of, of values and in many different ways. And for us, I think it starts with integrity, right? Is, is doing things the right way, um, being able to look at yourself in the mirror every day uh, based on your actions, doing things fairly. And like I said, integrity is one of the pillars of our, of our values, right? And 
and we want to run a clean, dependable, and honest company and business, right? And that's the that's probably the first backbone of things. But then in the space that we play as a startup that's trying to innovate, we're also going to be a company that has to move quickly, right? And we have to try to think out of the box. So we're always trying to push the envelope in terms of new ideas, experimenting, you're allowed to fail here. It's it's pushing things forward because we have to always, you know, be ahead of the curve ultimately, right? It's it's, you know, skate to where the puck's going, not to where it's been. And so that's always going to be part of our values and then we're always going to be a, a very collaborative environment. We don't have an office, a physical office. We are 100% remote. And so we have to rely on each other quite a bit. Nothing can be done in a vacuum, right? It is a very collaborative environment. And so those are kind of the three kind of working pillars. And then we also, you know, kind of the, the fourth pillar of our, of our value system is we champion diversity and, and cultivate inclusion. And I we're very that. proud of our, our track record there. We're close to a 50% male-female split. And I foresee by early next year, we're going to be over 50% uh, female-driven company. That's outstanding. I love what's happening in, in, in InsureTech a lot. We've had many women on as guests because of their important pl places in, in this industry. And I'm glad to see that you guys are pushing it there. And so as, as we come to a close, I want to ask you about uh, the future. We didn't even talk about marketplace. That's right. Oh, that's, that's, that's really, and well, we can which, close it which, on our future, which, which so, is around that. So hold, stop the presses. Let's talk about that. Tell us about marketplace. We're, I, I'm super intrigued by marketplaces that are coming up and succeeding in big ways in many different areas of insurance. Tell us about yours. Yeah. So as, as you guys know, these days, everyone and their mothers are starting marketplaces, right? So that's a very generalized term. For us, when we wanted to take our product and make sure we could also apply it in the broadest strokes. That's current, you know, when we, you think of our products as stuff, the, the end stakeholder is a underwriter. But the other side of the house is the brokers, right? They're the ones facilitating the, the sale. And mm -hmm. then the underwriter is gonna close the deal. So mm -hmm. in marketing our product to them, they thought it was great, but they go, our insurance network, if they don't know who you are, how can we get a different rate? Or they will just look at us and go, no, you know, we're, we're not even going to give a rate on this. And the facilitation of closing business uh, doesn't occur. So then we thought, well, if, we're, if we get our carrier, part, our carrier customers and that network large enough, how then can we leverage our product to facilitate that conversation with others outside of their traditional network. And if you utilize our score as the gating factor and put in, you know, upper and lower limits, then mm -hmm. you start to create a marketplace. And that's what our product does is that we have our carrier partners who want to be on our marketplace 
they are on that marketplace. They have specific risk tolerances based on our score. And that's the great gating criteria for brokers who are outside their traditional network to come in, send a census to them, and then they can automatically decide based on the score, our, our risk score, whether or not they want to proceed and quote that business or decline. You said that your underwriting uh, tool was your number one product, but I would think that this is a this has to be a growing opportunity for you. I mean, I mean, this is this is this is obviously going to be a very large part of our future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, time, energy, resources are going into your marketplace. To, to, Correct. To, that is the heavy investment right, right now. I, I just think it's it's so smart, uh, particularly in that super complicated segment that you're in of health insurance. Not that there aren't other areas that are very complicated in the world of insurance, but health insurance is a place you get a little bit wrong, it can cost you. And specifically stop loss. So in the stop loss industry, right, quote rates are uh, less than 25%. And then overall conversion rates are around 2%. Uh So when you know those statistics, you know that there's a problem that needs to be solved. Right. Right. And so the question came to how do we solve that problem with what we're doing? And ultimately, it is to diversify the networks there so that now you're you, you can go outside of your traditional carrier network. And if you're a carrier, you can go outside of your traditional broker network is you have us in between mm-hmm. to identify the risks coming in. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't have to rely on those relationships. And you must be getting great feedback on the marketplace. I mean, it, there must be excitement created by that. There's a ton. I mean, it's still very early mm-hmm. days and there's a there's a lot of functionality. It just rolled out in July in its beta format. Kind of the more official rollout has been about two months mm-hmm. ago. And now it's just in the very early days. And there's a lot more functionality we're going to build into mm-hmm. it. And we've been hiring to help do mm-hmm. that, but the the market reaction has been quite strong. Well, that's really exciting. We we want you to come back in in six months or a year and tell us about that. I mean, marketplaces on the one hand are such a simple idea, mm-hmm. but to do it effectively and efficiently and really honestly add value is and right. the adoption the adoption of it. I think will always and and, and any. Disrupting any kind of traditional process, mm-hmm. the uh, the adoption is never going to be, oh, everyone's just going to jump mm-hmm. over and uh, start using our marketplace. It is a gradual kind of education. Do you think you're disrupting anything? Is it disrupting things? To me, it's it's just making, it's making the greater transparency and accessibility. I, I don't think our marketplace product necessarily disrupts. It facilitates. Mm-hmm. There you go. I like that. That's what we're going to start calling disruption, Lee. <laughs> Facilitation. I like that. You guys are facilitators. We're facilitators, we're facilitators. and so are you. We're just talkers. <laughs> and not very good ones. Well, listen, we thank you very much for being with us today and allowing us to facilitate this conversation. Huh? That, oh, I this like comes it. Out. I like it. Just, I, I don't know, what, I don't know how it happens. It's- Rolls off the tongue. I don't know how it happens. But seriously, uh, to a fellow Californian, by the way, Jeff is in uh, San Francisco, as you know. And uh, so this is a two-thirds California podcast today. 
It is, but I also claim the other two who haven't talked yet, so it's three-fifths Texas. Oh, but all right. The, the guest counts for half. I win. The guest counts for 50%. Everything's weighted, right? Yeah, so there, there we you go. go. There you go. I win. Your writing is a little uh, problematic here, Lee. <laughs> Maybe I need more data on that. Do I? We, we can educate uh, you, Lee. Five thousand data <laughs> just points. A, just apply. <laughs> Five thousand data. Well, points. listen. Thanks for being with us, and we'll look forward to uh, meeting you in person someday. Absolutely, and th- thank you both. I, I had a great time, and I look forward to coming back. Pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, guys. What a nice guy. Jeff was a very nice guy. What a nice guy. What an adventuresome nice guy. Totally, right? To go yeah. from uh, a, a big job at Guidewire into the little crazy world of startups and then to land and then to make your way to CEO in a few years, that that says a lot about a person. Yeah, it it does. I mean, he's he's seen a lot of a lot of different jobs, a lot of different jobs within the same company even. Uh, but he is a, he's a guy I think who looks at the world differently than others. I mean, he tries to go and see, just like we talked to him, he's traveling over the, over the holidays. It, it's, he, he's a neat guy and he, what a great concept that the company has. You know, you said it in the podcast, the person who holds the data wins. I mean, they, they really have it going. I think there's a future there for them. Right. And they're making a lot of waves in a very tough little segment, not little, a very tough segment of our a gigantic of our, segment. Of our yeah. And uh, doing it with large and small health insurers. And uh, we're super grateful to Jeff to be with us today and to Verikai for making him available and grateful to our whole production staff. Every one of them. Well, Alicia, for sure. <laughs> I'm grateful for Al as people, well. Do we have more people on our production staff besides Alicia? I'm grateful for Al and Alicia. Okay. All right. And you're okay, too. What about me? Are you grateful for me? You're okay. Okay. Well, um, we should probably be saying Merry Christmas, everybody. We this, should. Yeah. This one's going to go out. Merry Christmas, around, everyone. Around it. Close enough. And uh, so Merry During Christmas. The holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Hope your 2022 is good. Don't forget to wear your mask and get your vaccines. <gasps> what did I say? That's right. Get vaccinated, for goodness sake. Anyways, we'll say now what we say every time, regardless of whether it's a holiday or not. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.